Hey everybody, this is Ted Wynn. And on today's episode of Perspective, I will be having a conversation, an invigorating conversation, with Conscious Lee, who is an educator, a professor, a social media influencer, and somebody who has very unique perspectives. You do not want to miss this conversation that we are calling Thoughts of a Color. Hey everybody, it's Ted Wynn. We are here with another episode of Perspective. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Conscious Lee. Let me just tell y'all, man, like I, I saw this brother on Instagram and um, there are a lot of people on Instagram saying a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> I don't usually follow a lot of people on Instagram, but this guy um, really moved me because um, he was not only interesting in his presentation, but he was substantive. Um, he was saying things that were a reflection of the fact that he is obviously a critical thinker. He was saying things that are that are obvious of the fact that he's someone who is concerned about every iteration of humanity. And, and that is something that I'd love to see more of, especially from Black people. Um, so I want to take this opportunity to welcome you to the show. Hey, and I'm honored, man, to have this this conversation with you. I think our viewers and our listeners will be um, educated, inspired, and uplifted, right, and, and made to think about some things maybe a little bit differently after we have this discourse. Uh, so you are a uh, teacher at the University of Oklahoma. Is that correct? Yeah, professor, professor, yes. and professor and coordinator of the debate team. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's usually what you that's usually what you seeing on that screen. You seeing a lot of that 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 energy that critical thinking that came from me being a policy debater at the college level and being able to be what they what they what they start throwing on me you feel me what they inscribed onto my body uh they called me a performance debater because i wanted to use poetry and rap me and my debate partner rasheed campbell mm. and we were pretty good at it so shit, we got so good at it that we pissed off a lot of white people inevitably that had a hard time engaging us on a critical level because we were first and foremost talking about politically socially economically the hood you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like not just the black community, but like sure. like the like the hood in terms of the lower socioeconomic of our community and kind of like those people that were left behind in terms of the civil rights movements or the people that get tone mm -hmm. police for not being respectable, or the people that get talked shit about being thugs and being criminals and being X, Y, and Z. So that's what we was representing. You feel me? Mm -hmm. And what I learned mm -hmm. from doing that debate is that I learned how to be, uh, uh, I guess, a orator, really. I learned how to use my Southern sure. draw. I learned how to use a lot of things that my grandfather and grandparents heard saying, you feel me, and being able to put yeah. an intellectual spin on it. You know what I'm saying? So, No, man, I love that. I, I, I'm from Memphis, right? So I, I know much about the hood and, yeah. <laughs> and that life. Um, I, I've, I, was, I was fortunate, though, to have um, music as a vehicle to expose me to a lot of things. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to travel around the world to several countries, but the thing that I've seen as I travel, whether it was in Brazil or in Peru or in parts of Europe, is that there's so much connectedness with the black experience, right? So you go to Brazil and you go to the favela, which is basically the, the ghetto in Brazil, and it's full of black folks. And you go to Bahia, Salvador Bahia in Brazil, which has a lot of African retention, and you, you see, not just the poverty, but you see the resilience, you see the brilliance, you see the creativity, you see these things that are undeniable to people of African descent. Like we 
show up and resonate as light and culture and authenticity anywhere we are in, on the planet, irrespective yeah. of our circumstances. And so yeah. talk a little bit about that experience that, that you have um, with seeing people in, in, in the hood. Like when you talk about the people who have this on this lower social economic level, like what do you what does that make you think about and feel when you experience it or have experienced that? To be honest with you, how I really got my critical understanding of really being able to articulate, I think a lot of the phenomenons in the hood is through this literature called Afro-pessimism. You feel me? Uh, mm. Dr. Frank Wilderson, Dr. Jerry Sexton, you know what I'm saying? Dr. City Hartman, you feel me? They have this, this understanding that, uh, or this literature base that pretty much contains and gives an analysis that the world is structured by anti-blackness. You feel me? Mm -hmm. Like not not looking at the world through the lens of like whiteness or white supremacy, but censoring blackness and black people and how the world positions us and how the world is sustaining through our positioning. So for me mm -hmm. being from the hood, when I heard this idea of social death, I thought mm -hmm. like, damn, when he say, you feel me, black people are always already seen as dead. I think that the vaster signifier of that is like what it means to be a menace of society, which we know, you feel me, in America or within the Western world, that's seen as the African-American male or seen as black folks in general. So then when mm -hmm. I started thinking about the three tenets of, you feel me, social death or thinking about what, you know what I'm saying, Frank Woodis and them is putting forward in, top, in terms of anti-blackness and how civil society is situated on the black body and how gratuitous mm -hmm. violence, you feel me? Gratuitous violence means unwarranted violence, violence for any damn reason, you feel me? Like, sure, you looked at me sure. the wrong way, I'ma pop your ass. You yeah. sagging your pants, I'ma pop your ass. You mm -hmm. feel me? I'm having a bad day, I'm finna pop your ass. That's gratuitous yeah. violence, you feel me? Yeah. And I think that yeah. when I got into literature and philosophy, it gave me the ability to be able to say what I mean and mean what I say, a way that I wasn't, mm -hmm. I feel like, given linguistically to be able to articulate myself how I wanted to when I was a youngster, yeah. you feel me? So now yeah. that I didn't, stumbled into philosophy and theory should now have a better way of articulating and explaining myself that's sometimes a little bit novel to most people but it's refreshing you feel me so i feel like yeah. being from the hood i know that we've seen as fungible objects you see what i'm saying i know that uh, uh, you know afro pessimism talks about like the fungibility of blackness and black people so when i think about that i think about it as like my grandma and me say shit everybody want to be black until it's time to be black or they must love black <laughs> And love black culture, but they don't love black people. And I think that yeah. how that fits in terms of accumulation and fungibility of us as black people, where it's like, yeah, y'all respect the cultural products that come from my community, but you don't yeah. respect us as cultural producers in the community. Mm. And that's that fungibility that, you know what I'm saying, that the Afro-pessimists talk about. You feel me? You're able what to is? literally take anything that I create from my flesh. You can separate it from my flesh, literally, and you, yeah. you only see black bodies as flesh. And you feel me? That's really how I came into it. And that's really how I start to understand from a real critical level. I think like like the hood, how we don't have resources, how we don't have yeah. opportunities, how we don't or, yeah. or we have lack a lack thereof of them. Sure. And it's just sure. like shit, man. Yeah, you know, like these conversations so overlook me throughout, right? Because they make me I have a range of emotions. I'm you might see me like teary-eyed, <laughs> like laughing, because I love black people's I love humanity, but I love black people so deeply, right? And this is why I'm right. committed to the work of social justice and advocacy and educating our people, whether we are in I mean, my history is in faith-based, but I, I'm doing things that resonate outside of that. And I think that what you said is so profound to me. Um, I, I often simplify it by saying they love our rhythm, but not our blues. Um, and I think that when we talk about who we are, what we bring to the table, what we give, um, it is it is fascinating. It's it's also interesting that we have these conversations around um, 
black violence um, in ways that are just strange. Like when people say stuff like black on black crime, I'm like, what the hell is black on black crime? Like, because we yeah, never hear a media though. narrative about yeah. it is. We it's never a hear a media narrative about white on white crime. Like, and we know that that has all to do with proximity, right? Because we we live no. close to each other, just like white hey, people commit more crimes against each other because they live close to each other, right? I pissed I pissed people off one time on on TikTok because I said I know white on I know I know black on black crime is trivial and pathological because mm-hmm. I see majority of World War One and World War Two recognizing there were other parties that were not European descent like China mm-hmm. or Japan. But I still see it as global white on white crime. Ultimately, white white European mm-hmm. nation states fighting about non European states and who gonna get what and how they gonna get it. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Or yes. when I think about you feel me the Civil War, people love to talk about how white people put their face online. But like, listen, y'all called it the Brothers War because y'all was fighting against each other. You don't trivialize yes. it and saying, well, because the Union was fighting against the Confederacy, but goddamn, this mean the Japanese <laughs> can come kill us. They ain't mean that. You see what I'm saying? But no, I recognize it when it comes to black on black crime, it's like, hey, Ted. You can't get mad about historical slavery. Your people sold your people into slavery. The same mm-hmm. hubris of thinking says that, hey, if Tyrone shoot Pookie, you can't get mad when Officer Dan shoot Pookie. You did it to yourself. Yeah. And I'm thinking it's about illogical. it like, listen, what? It'll, hey, listen, I'm a historian. So when yeah. I think about history, it's like, hey, I don't remember the time the minute man of Samuel Adams then being like, hey, guys. I know the the, the, the red coats are tarring and feathering us and tax representation, yeah. but what about yes. colonists don't call this crime? Right, I mean, right. Samuel Adams and, uh, and old boy got into it, and I think that if we can't, we can't focus on what the British is doing to us until we focus on what we're doing to us. They didn't say that shit. No, they didn't. And I think that we we this is the thing too about you know capitalist construct, which is America, right? An empirical society. You think about the the, and I'm sure you're as much as a, a data and analytics per, analytics person as I am. There are two things that are inextricably bound in America. That is high levels of poverty and high levels of crime. It's not rocket science. When people, and that's irrespective of race. So you could go to an affluent black community and you will not see high levels of violent crime. Why? Or conversely, you can go to uh, a poor white community and you'll see high levels of crime. Why? Because the issue is for the most part, resources. When Mm -hmm. people have resources, in a capitalist construct where I, mean, I live in Atlanta, right? So I can literally, and I don't want, I don't mean to sound self-aggrandizing, but I can literally, literally drive about three miles from where I live and I'm in the hood. Mm. The disparity from where I live to where that is, is vast. And this is the other thing, like these people who live in, people who live in abject poverty are not less intelligent. They're not less, they're not less anything. Right. They're just in a situation where they don't have means, they don't have resources. In many instances, they feel hopeless. And if you can literally drive, you know, 10 minutes and see a whole different you know, world, then that messes with your mind Agreed. and what you feel is possible. And so it affects how people act and react. And so I think we do have to continue to, to debunk the idea that people in the hood are just innately or inherently violent. Right. It's just not Definitely. true. I, uh, I think when we talk about like policing practices or policing statistics, we recognize that when a community is over policed, that obviously leads to more crime being reported and or more crime being seen. So something that I remember hearing when I was in undergrad came from this white dude, Tim Wise. 
He said that mm-hmm. black people are suspected, therefore they're detected, therefore they're more punished. You feel me? And it's something that always stuck with me because I recognized that when I got to the University of Oklahoma, my community mm-hmm. in the west side of Bryan was, was 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 stereotyped for being able to get any drug under the sun if you want to get it, right? When I came mm-hmm. to the University of Oklahoma, I recognized that it was in the white community or white college towns because I was, I, was, I was a debater, so I got to travel the country. I got to yeah. really see how because certain communities don't go suspected, they're not detected and therefore they're not punished. So when you think mm-hmm. about how black and brown people or black, white and brown people smoke weed at, at you know what I'm saying, the same similar rates, but we have particular in the particular groups that are more likely to be arrested or more likely to yes. be convicted, more likely to be incarcerated. Yes. It's like yes. you have to take that into, you know what I'm saying, into account. And that's really when people start getting pissed off about things like critical race theory or people mm-hmm. having a racialized understanding of the of the law. Cause it's like mm-hmm. you're trying to be a victim, blah 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 blah. blah. And he's like, man, take the hot ass conservative speaking points on somewhere. You feel me? But I also recognize too when I give criticisms, I'm giving criticisms about the left and the right. You feel what I'm sure. saying? Like I'm sure. talking about the left and the right and how they implicated in like disenfranchising of the black community, how both of them implicated in the prison industrial complex, how both yes. of them implicated in nonprofit industrial complex, how both of them yeah. I keep on naming shit. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. I don't like to play them bipartisan games. You feel me? I feel like people no, I hear you. I, I will say this. I go out and vote. People should go out and vote. People should register. Yeah, vote. yeah. But, but, but I do don't think get this caught is up a, in that shit. I hear you. I think that I think that whiteness is transcends party, right? And white supremacy transcends party. So King talked about the white moderate. Uh, it, it was it was one of the groups of people that he was saying we should be most concerned about, and we see that reflected today uh, in, in Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema as it relates to them not doing what they could do so as to get the the Voting Rights Act passed. And and I know that you know none of the Republicans supported the the Voting Rights Act, but we already knew they weren't. We we know who they are, right? That's not a surprise. Uh, but we expected to be able to depend on people who have a D by their name. Right. Um, and, and, and and for the most part, we have been with this particular situation. It's just those two. But it only takes two. You know what I'm saying? It only takes one actually to not be able to get get it done. And so I do think that you're that you're spot on. Like, this is not some absolute idea that we can just assign to like conservative GOP Republicans. Like there are people on the left who are problematic as well, who are helping to perpetuate these things that are problematic for black folks. Yeah. And being real, what I'm saying, particularly like very specific trying to say is that when it comes to talking about the black experience or talking about black progression, I think that we have to distance ourselves from pushing that through a left versus right lens or Democrat versus mm-hmm. Republican lens, because mm-hmm. I think that politically, socially, economically, what it means to be black or how, how how it means to move forward going black. I think that those two parties are not the best way to be able to really think about and account for all the different textures of the black experience. So in my mm-hmm. mind, I'm thinking about it like, shit, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, you feel me? I'm unapologetically black. I mean, independent, political, social, economic, thinking about what it means for black people to do X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. not thinking about it first and foremost by how I'm gonna vote for this party or that party. It don't mean I'm going to negate or think that I'm never going to vote for a party, but I think that first and sure, foremost, sure. I'm thinking about how can we have that determination, independence by ourselves that don't involve them. Yeah. No, I hear you. So let, let me pivot a little bit. I want to ask you this, and this is um, we're just having a conversation. Right. We're going to get to the topic in, in, in a bit, but I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea. Um, towards the end of King's life, um, he really began to 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 rethink. Um, integration, right? He said, I'm paraphrasing, I feel like I've, you know, basically led my people into a burning building with this idea around integration because he felt like if we just do the right thing, if we integrate, if we 
love hard enough, then people's hearts will be changed. And um, I think he began to be disillusioned to some degree about that towards the end of his life. Let me give a little bit of, of pretext. So, so, so we know that segregation was a thing in America, and we know that that necessity is the mother of invention, right? So, black people couldn't go to hotels and all this other stuff. So, what did we do? We created our own hotels, our own banks, our own businesses. With integration, a lot of that went away because people wanted to move into those more acceptable white spaces and go to those white institutions and support those white businesses. So, a lot of black businesses, you know, went under. This is going to be an sound like an extreme question, right? <laughs> so, what do you think about ideas around separatism? Um, I think that the ideas around separatism are very trivialized from a romanticized understanding that integration and kumbaya and multiculturalism is always good. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I'm very critical, especially when February rolled around every year and we start to really champion the first white person to get into uh, the first black person to be accepted by white people, the first yeah. black person to be able to be allowed in a white space to place. And I think yeah. that we start to really use that as a measure of how we understand black excellence, how we understand what it means to be amazing and phenomenal and resilient as being black is mm -hmm. based off of our proximity to white people and mm -hmm. our proximity away from blackness. So when I think mm. about the idea of separatism, I recognize how it has been stigmatized in ways to push the envelope of, you feel me, of, of equality. You know what I'm saying? But I would, <laughs> I would, I would, but I'm very critical about how the trade-off happened. You see what I'm saying? I think mm -hmm. that it's undeniable the trade-off. Once we were allowed to be, once we were allowed to access white spaces, white institutions, white organizations, you feel me? It yeah. literally traded off with how we value black spaces, black organizations, and it literally made it where well now because we're able to go into the white school. I'm now going to pull the kids away from the black school and do X, Y, and Z. And I yeah. think that when it comes to, I feel like separatism, like mm -hmm. to me, I think that the correct word to me is like independence and recognizing that when that. we talk about like integration and separation, it's mm -hmm. not really a question of that. It's really a question of independence. And I mm -hmm. think that a lot of times when it comes to me, going back to that Afro-pessimism shit, sure. the reason why it's so dope, bro, because it talks about how there's grammars of suffering that is unintelligible like you can't put it in words. You feel mm -hmm. me? Sure. Like literally talks about like within the like within the, the, the like not even just the English language, but language mm -hmm. as a whole. Yes. There are literal grammar that cannot capture you feel me what's going down and how it's going down. So when I think when it comes to black people over time, when we've been able to say what we want from the world, the world yeah. is always able to like audible our shit. You feel me? Yeah. Or you know what I'm saying? Sidestep it. Like we say, yeah. we're drowning, we're drowning, we're drowning. They throw us ladders. It's like yep. maybe a ladder could help you to drown, but it probably ain't the best tool. You see what I'm no, saying? Oh, no, and I think that that's usually what happens when it comes to you know what I mean. So I hope that answers your question. No, it does. That, you know I, I think, but like, I think, and I think the reframing of it, it you know, in, in, in being independent, um, um, is is important. And I think that's something that because I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting or I, I'm not suggesting anything, but I, I've not thought about like should we have like a separate black state, right? I don't think that's realistic in, in the current construct. Yeah. But I do think being independent and being self-sufficient in certain ways is important. I had a debate some time ago with a friend who, um, well, two things. One, I was, I was my first semester at Morehouse, I met a, I met a guy, brother, black guy, who um, was an Ivy League grad and we were talking about the school. And 
unbeknownst to me, he was on the board. And then he made that known he was on the board of directors. And I was like, oh, cool. And I asked him, why didn't he go there? And he began to kind of disparage the school and say, you know, what it wasn't. And I said, well, how do you know what it isn't? You didn't go there. He said, well, I know it's this. I said, have you ever, have you ever sat in a class? Well, no. Well, how the hell do you know what you're talking about? Like, you have no idea what the HBCU experience is, specifically the one at Morehouse, if you've never gone. So you, so you, so I'm not sure what you're comparing it to. It's aside from like perception type or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. anti-black yeah. perception, right? Yeah. Anti-black, uninformed perception, yeah. right? Because because you don't know, you've not even been there to see what that's like. So I do think that we did see that happening, and we still do see it on some in some ways when people talk about you know where to go. So here, in I mean, I did it being real. Like if I'm if I'm being fully transparent, sure. I graduated class. I graduated high school in 2009. Mm -hmm. I'm from Bryan, Texas. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Prairie View and is mm -hmm. 45 minutes away from where I was born and raised. And shit, yeah. TSU, you feel me, is in Houston, an hour and a half. You feel me? Yeah. When I was growing up, I got so lost in the sauce of white supremacy and really internalized black inferiority that I thought that I wasn't going to be able to be competitive if I went to a HBCU. And then after sure. I got the HBCU degree compared to the people that got the white degrees, I felt like I wasn't sure. going to be competitive. You sure. feel me? I'm now yeah. conscious enough to recognize the reason why I, 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 I like, like, because me, textbook definition of anti-blackness is to distance yourself from blackness of black people i recognize yeah. that anti-blackness pushed me towards going to a predominantly white institution that i went to university of oklahoma you feel mm -hmm. me and away from the hbcus that would have gave me a full a full ride a free ride sure, you sure, feel me like sure. literally i was so lost in the sauce i literally was like i don't want your free shit i'd rather go <laughs> in a hundred thousand dollars in debt <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like I literally did that uh, shit. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think yeah. that it's, it's it's something to be said. It's like it's something it, I think it about is. all the time. It is something to be said. And I think that's I mean, we're seeing that play out about five to six years ago. You know, I was talking about the fact that I think, you know, you have all these black athletes who are going to these PWIs, and I'm like, they really should invest in going to HBCUs. I know they don't have like all the, you know, the, the same type of finances and equipment and stuff. But they would. And, and, <laughs> they will if we start going there and that'll get TV time. And so I was, I was really happy to see what Deion Sanders was doing he, and, and, and growing that thing. Like, look, you look at the, I was looking at some stats yesterday. I'm not sure if you're in sports at all, but like, I love, definitely. I love football. So like, there are zero majority owners in the NFL, one black head coach right now. Um, but about 70 plus percent of the players are black. And it's just like, so it, NBA is close to the same. So effectively there is no NBA, NBA, there is no NFL without black athletes, period. It's literally the, the leagues. You're giving that you're giving the analysis right now. You're giving the anti-black analysis right now, how these whole industries are relying on black labor and black bodies. They are. And, and they don't, they don't show up, you know, without us, but we have situations, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, where we have situations like the Colin Kaepernick situation, which in my mind, like like I thought about, you know, black H black football players at HBCUs, it's easily rectified if 15% of black NFL players said, we ain't playing no more to cap get a job. I guarantee you he gets a job. Yeah. You, had, you, had a, you had a rules change in the NBA about agents because they, you know, there was a, was a black guy. I can't think of his name, but he, he grew up with or was friends with, Le, with LeBron and he was getting these players, you know, in, into the league and they didn't like how it was happening. So they put these rules in place that would bar him. And LeBron was like, hell no, that's not going to fly. They changed the rule this, the next week. Right. I know the NBA is different because it's smaller more face yeah. time what have you but it's not impossible if we unify and we have collective kind of you know ideas and modes about what we want to do because we are you know the the source of 
Uh, there is no American culture without black people. Like, period. Not music, yeah. not fashion, not sports, not art, like nothing. Really? exists without us. And so I think that as we as we understand our value in these spaces, you know, hopefully we will demand more because we can. Um, so I want to I want to pivot a bit here. We we're supposed to be talking about toxic masculinity, right? So I, I oh yeah, we gonna get there. We gonna get there. <laughs> but I think um, there've been a lot of things happening. So here we are. We are in Black History Month, and uh, which which I always find interesting. Me, you know, went from Black History Week to Black History Month, like shortest month of the year. That's what we got. Um, but when we think about toxic masculinity. Um, well, let me ask you this: as as a, as we move into this conversation, how do you define that? How do you? Define how, that? how do I find toxic masculinity? I define toxic masculinity as um, a way of defining manhood or masculation, uh, manhood or mas masculinity by domination. You feel me? Mm. I think that toxic toxic masculinity means that you measure your manhood based off of how many women you can sexually dominate, how many men you can you feel me physically brutalize and whoop their ass. Uh, mm -hmm. how, how 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 many people, things, many spaces, places can you dominate? Can you conquer? Yeah. That's how that's how I that's how I identify. That's how I would define toxic masculinity. Yeah, I, I I'm with you there. Um, I also see it. I also see it in addition to those things. I also see it. Um, as as ways in which uh, folks who identify as, as a male or mass or man male or men must perform, right? Most and there's certain oh, yeah. certain ways you are forbidden to perform. There are certain colors you cannot wear. There are certain emotions you cannot um, display. Um, certain language you can't use. There's certain um, ways of expression uh, that you're not allowed. Right. Um, some years back, it may not be as, as common anymore. Like I'd be talking to some friends and they would say something and they would say pause. And I'm like, why the hell are you saying that? Like, like, it's just so. No <laughs> homo. Pause. <laughs> Whoa, bro. What you mean? <laughs> Elementary minded ass. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, it's, and it always bothered me. And I would raise a conversation with my friends. Um, and tell them why I thought it was problematic that they, that they even felt the need to say that that they were that they were performing in a way that was just ridiculous, in my opinion. So I want I want to target a post that that I saw you um, commenting on a while back. I don't I don't remember the, the brothers' names, but there was a podcast. Uh, I don't even know the name of the podcast. And, and, and probably not and even not important. Like, you know what? We don't even need to, about say yeah. if you think what I'm thinking about. Yeah. You know, we don't need to give no I didn't want to give them, yeah. I didn't want to platform it, right? But there was a conversation being had about the women's value, you know, going down every time they have a child. And I was sitting there watching, I only saw the clip on your page because I, I don't follow them. And I was like, say what? Like, <laughs> it was really like, I was quite taken aback to be candid. Um, that this was a conversation that was being had and there was actually like not even pushback from the host. They were like, yeah, kind of affirming, kind of giving this platform to it. And I'm like, what in the world is happening here? So I want to kind of speak to that a little bit and, and these ideas that we have around um, the, the objectification of women, right? And, and the ways in which this particular person was saying that women become less valuable 
every time they have a child. Like, yeah, man. Nigga said something about the elasticity of the vagina or some shit. And it was like, <laughs> man, bro, how old is you, man? So you mean tell me you claim to be, I mean, I'm 31. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. Looking at you in this, you know what I'm saying, this thing, you got to be older than me. Yeah. So how in the hell is you supposed to be a coochie connoisseur and you talking about the elasticity <laughs> of a vagina? So I know you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You really misogynistic, like textbook. Like, you hate women, bro. Yeah. And, and you really like, nigga, you don't recognize it, but you just said, hey, mama, when you birthed my sorry ass, that I brought value, I brought value down in your life when you birthed yeah. my sorry ass. Like, yeah. literally, the my mere presence yeah. equals, you feel me? And then I take it a step further. It's like, so you literally saying that in order to reproduce, women have to be devalued. Yeah. Bitch. But it, but it starts least. with the fact, that, it starts with the fact that he feels he has a right to assign value to begin with. Like that he feels like there's this starting point for women and then they particularly begin to come down from that point every time they have a child, which again, the ways in which people feel like they can assign some type of value, whatever that system is to human beings, irrespective of how they show up in the world, is always challenging for me. It's like, yeah, you don't get to to, to put value on people like they're a car. Nah, you want to be massive. You got this counter yeah. lap, man. You want to be massive. You feel yeah. me? You yeah. are in you really engaging in plantation patriarchy. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Mm-hmm. You you still have resentment against white men and how they're able to exert their power and privilege. You want a piece yes. of it. You don't want to yes. you don't want to get rid of it. You see what I'm saying? You want a piece of it. You feel me? And yes. how I think about it is like elders used to always say it's the difference between kind of like uh like revolutionaries almost. It's like mm-hmm. you had the revolutionary that wanted the crown of the king and you want and you had revolutionaries that wanted the head of the king and i think that a lot of times when we talk about like the man of spirit the kevin samuels with all yeah. of that, that whole little, that whole little game it's yeah, like yeah. y'all really are lost in the sauce of plantation patriarchy and y'all mm-hmm. trying to give these bullshit objective analysis about black women but y'all yeah. not really keeping it not y'all not keeping it a thousand you see what i'm yeah. saying you're not uh, accounting for how literal the world teaches that black women are undesirable and or not woman enough so yes. when you talk about women being high valuable or why men don't ditch that and the other, I think that is to me a lot of cap and very facetious. It's like two things I say, and I, I you know what I'm saying I just throw this in real fast. Two stats real Let's quick. Go. It's very Let's important, go. right? Let's go. Pornhub just released statistics from 2021 that showed that black women was the most consumed porn category for the second year in a row. Wow. Right. Just compose that to on dating websites black women are seen as the least desirable and literally are you feel me dated the least amount yep so you see that on one end publicly the most shunned and this and the other but on this realm you say literally sexually being consumed fantasized fetishized the whole nine yards yes it's like what is happening here and i think that a lot of times the way in which the world has conditioned or indoctrinated us to think about black women yeah it plays out in the real world. So for you it to does. talk about high value men and women and you not talking about that, to me, it's like, bro, you capping, you feel me? To me, it'd be like saying uh, like, hey, if I'm starving, bro, I'm starving. You feel me? And yeah. nigga, I know y'all got salami and caviar on your crib. Mm-hmm. If I break into your home, I agree that's bad, but I think that it would be unethical for you to not think about the entirety of what happened. You feel what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Shit, when, when America invading, vision, like what? Well, I could think of a whole bunch of different examples, structural and individual, that I think that a lot of times when it comes to black people, in this instance, black women, yeah. it's just like you, you fall short. No, like, like I, I've often said, no, I don't, and I don't, I don't want to speak 
you know, or or cast a broad net and speaking in broad generalizations. But when I the people I'm seeing on my timeline, whether it be on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, black men specifically, and when I'm having these conversations with with, with cisgender heterosexual black men, I, I find it fascinating that many of them seem to not want equity for all people. They want the same privilege that cisgender white men have, right? So you're well, not equality. really yeah, exactly. <laughs> equality that, to the white man. <laughs> exactly. So I'm not trying to deconstruct these systems. When I think about the conversations that I've heard uh, folks having, like like there was a, there was a situation that happened with 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 um, with Ti, right? Where he had this whole thing that happened with his daughter and her checking her hymen and the whole nine. But then conversely his son suggested or alluded to the fact that he had had sex at 15 or 16 and he celebrated it. And I just, I'm just like the contradiction here <laughs> conflict is, is fascinating because if you are a black man who has a black son and you're celebrating your black son, young black son, 15, 16, having sex with some, you know, some, some girl, that's somebody else's daughter. Right. So we, I'm not thinking about that. Like, what if it was your daughter? Would you not want that to happen? And I think until we, start to see women as equal human beings, right? As as fully uh, valuable human beings with their own agency who bring as much to the table as we do, then we're gonna continue to have this conversation. And that's part of the challenge, I think, is really deconstructing these ideas around patriarchy and this this hierarchy that we exist in. And whether that be for people who who espouse a, a Judeo-Christian kind of idea because it's incorporated yeah. in there as well. And in other religions, not just not just Agreed. Christianity, but just around in, in the country. When we think about it, like we think about like everything, like from from the majority of CEOs are men to the majority of pastors are men to the majority of, you know, the owners of, of these these teams. Like, and I think that we, we see it showing up, but I think that we have to, those of us who are aware of it, have to have these conversations. And that is why I really, really appreciate your platform because, you know, being someone who identifies as cisgender hetero and then having conversations that don't benefit you, you know, in, in, in the way that people think about it shows, I think, your character and your concern about humanity. Right. And I, and I think we need to see more of that showing up. And that's, and that's where I feel like we're really we're really we're really challenged in a lot of ways. Um, so when you think about this conversation around toxic masculinity and the ways that it shows up, um, what do you think happens to how do you think little boys turn into those men? Shit, I think I think it's a. Uh, man. Just I think over time, man, being persuaded on what it means to be a man. I feel like mm -hmm. if you if you if you over time persuaded that you know what it means to be a man is to sleep with as many women as possible or mm -hmm. to you know what I'm saying, objectify as many women as possible, or for you to you feel me, dominate smaller men or you feel me, people that are gender non-conforming. To mm -hmm. me, I think that that's how that's how that's how it happens. You know what I'm saying? When we start to give uh I feel like when we start to champion certain dudes yeah. to do certain shit. Mm -hmm. What you what they did that got them in that position, whether it's good or bad, sometimes it also gets you feel me attributed as a part of where they at. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I think that is just that's that's just you feel me. I, I had a conversation um with my cousin. I won't say his name because I didn't ask him first. <laughs> he was he was a little younger. He was probably about 27. And um he was talking about this girl he was dating. 
and I asked him how it was going. He said it was cool, but then they started having more conversation, and then he just like checked out. I was like, why? And he said, well, I just feel like she had you know too many dudes. And I said, oh, interesting. How many girls have you had sex with? He's like, ten, twenty, yeah, more than thirty. And he started laughing. I said, so let me ask you: if you met a if you met a young lady and you asked her how many guys she had sex with, and she said eh, thirty plus, would you date her? Hell no. I said, but but that's you. So so should she not date you? And he he literally had never thought about it that way. And he sat back and he was like. I guess you're right. Yeah. No, it's not different. Right. Like it's your, it's your body. And I mean, obviously now he's, he's in a different place, but I don't think we're having those types of conversations. Now we just having those conversations. I agree. We're not having them enough. We're not having them enough, but you know, because I'm on the internet, the way I'm on the internet, these, these conversations are going on Mm -hmm. and you feel me? It's, it's, it's birthed another movement, the uh, involuntary celibacy movement in sales. Maybe I don't know if you're familiar with them. Educate me. Man, 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 gotta be careful because the dudes is crazy. You feel me? Like they literally believe that women are sexual objects that they're supposed to be entitled to have sex with. And if they are, you feel me? Like literally, they are involuntarily celibate. The incel movement is involuntary celibacy. What does that mean? Locking you, locking women up? Like literally means that they believe that because they are involuntarily celibate. Mm-hmm. That it's women's fault that they're not sexing it. Look it up, man. Just, <laughs> just look it up, bro. Look it up. Research for me, search. That's my that's my motto. You feel me? Type yeah. in in cell movement. I N C E L movement. And you're gonna see this whole shit that pop up, right? What I the reason why I'm bringing this up is there is a a a mantra or a concept on the internet that has. I've seen that a couple of times, and I've seen a couple of celebrities uh, share this shit on accident. I'm mm-hmm. gonna say it's accident. I'm getting the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. but they will create an analogy. And I'm thinking, I feel like you an old guy. You know what I'm saying? We we've been around, so you heard it before, yeah. Ted. Yeah, yeah. Niggas say some shit like, "If I have a key, and that key can open up all doors, that's a bad key, ain't it?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now, mm-hmm. if I have a doorknob and that doorknob can be opened by any key, that's a bad doorknob, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that analogy. Yeah. This would be the analogy of how they try to explain the way what you're trying to, you know what I'm saying, get at, right? And it come from like some incel, like, boy, you wild as hell for saying that crazy shit, but though, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. But it's important to, you feel me? I feel like we're trying to push forward the dialogue, yeah. and being able to account for the ways that people try to link their way into this conversation. Yeah, I think that, wow. I'm definitely gonna research that. Like that's that's interesting to me. It, it's 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 fascinating that people rather than it's step hold back. on one thing to say too. It's important to acknowledge this. The incel movement was actually started by a white Canadian woman hmm. and it got hijacked. Mm-hmm. The conversation got I mean that the movement got hijacked by white men. And now wow. the incel movement, the face of the incel movement is white men and they in it. I'm talking about a sh- extremely violent group. I believe that. I mean, these things sound like uh, tenets of, uh, I mean, not, not just objectification, they're also tenets of rape culture. Um, and it's really like, um, it's troubling. And, and I would think that as people would have more conversations, 
I would think that people would be like be more enlightened and want to kind of deconstruct these ideas around misogyny and patriarchy and misogynoir, but but no, they're like they're like they're like let's recalibrate and double down, <laughs> right? Yeah. In a different I mean, kind of way. If you invested in it though, if you invested in it in this certain ways, you benefit from it. It's always going to be an incentive for you to be invested in it and for you to defend it or for you to be resistant to the deconstruction of it. So mm-hmm. in my mind, I see the 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 progression of women in 2021 2020 2019 is really brought about kind of the same type of bullshit ass groups you know i'm saying when it comes to like white supremacy or pedal supremacy mm-hmm. is that you believe power or you see power as being a pie and if somebody else is getting some you get less and i think that when it comes to toxic masculinity because you got to be intersectional with it too you feel me like recognizing sure. how black sure. men white men white women black women native women latino women you know men yeah. how all you know what i'm saying the situation in terms of culturally you feel me and racially yeah. how we situated in how we come to this understanding of toxic masculinity can be a little unique for different groups but it can be. Me, nonetheless we recognize like shit, it's it's, 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 cross, it's cross-cultural you feel me? It is. Let me let me read this. Uh, uh, thanks to my producer. So just for people who are who were not aware, like me, <laughs> uh, what this incel is. In, an incel is abbreviation for involuntary celibate. Is a member of an online subculture of people who define themselves as unable to get a romantic or sexual partner despite desiring one. Discussions in incel forums are often characterized by resentment and hatred misogyny, misanthropy, self-pity, and self-loathing, racism, a sense of entitlement to sex, and the endorsement of violence against women and sexually active people. Sheesh. This is, yo, this is like the QAnon of Sex, bro. Culture, like. I swear to God, it's the QAnon rape culture, bro. It's the QAnon of gender violence, fam. It's the QAnon Woo! of gender violence. It's the QAnon of you feel me? The way in which we justify having crazy ass ideas of literally, you feel me, entitled to sex. To the Into okay, so do these people advocate for for violence? Is violence acceptable yeah, in, in this idea? Yes, yes, yes. If you if you did more, if you if, if you typed it into Google and seen other stuff, you're going to see how within the past two or three years there have been public acts of violence that have led to something that that, that has been tied to the incel movement or the incel movement have taken credit for. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Yeah, we we that's why I said this. You know, we we have to have, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation. Um, on the podcast because I feel like it's really important for this conversation to be had. And I, and I, and I really feel like it's important for men to have it um, because I think we see, I mean, it's kind of like why it's important for, for white folks to be anti-black. I mean, to be, to be anti-black. Yeah. I mean, to be a, you know, anti-racist. Yeah, 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 anti-racist. You feel me? For white people to be yeah, anti-racist. Yeah, ally, activist, accomplice. You feel yeah. me? Yeah. Anti-racist. Yeah, you, it's not enough to just you know to just be silent on it or not feel like you're active in it. Like uh, to be complicit in in that way. Like you have to be anti. And so to be anti-racist and to be someone who worked to deconstruct these ideas around misogyny, um, I think are very very important. Um, th- this this idea that. Um, women are, you know, property or can be assigned value or don't have their own agency. I mean, we see it show up in so many ways in the conversations that are happening in the country right now around uh, reproductive rights and what's happening in Texas and Mississippi with these, with these bands. Um, Just, and what's always fascinating to me is that if you look at any state house makeup, 
it's the majority is always white men who are making laws and setting practices in place that affect women's bodies. Like it's not even women making these these choices in political spaces. It's, it's men. the American way. It's the American, <laughs> it's the American, it's the American way. way. Yeah, it is. When you when you think about it, when you think about it too, it's just like I think that. I ain't even go there with it because I know that the, I feel like the, I feel like the American way goes for both liberals and in 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 conservatives. But I know mm -hmm. that when we're talking about specifically conservatives, it's like what are we trying to conserve? We're trying to conserve traditional values. Yes. What are these traditional values in terms of women? Mm -hmm. Bitch, what my sandwich? <laughs> in my mind, that's what that's what conservative values is. To, to you feel me? Like 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 gender violence and shit like that. It's oh. like really like it's about servitude. It's about how yeah. can you how can you cater to me? You feel yeah. me? I just how I just saw be, I know? just saw somebody romanticize this right on 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 Instagram recently, and this is what this is what he said. He said, you know, you don't have to make a woman submit. Okay, if you just if you just you know if you love her right, if you do this, if you do that, if you you know just show up for her, she's gonna want to submit. She's gonna want, and I'm just like. Like, why is submission the goal? That's what I want to know. Like, like, why do you need anybody to submit to you? Why, why are we not talking about having the, an equitable partner yeah. in a relationship? That's not, a woman that's is, a, not. Is, a, is an adult, right? She's an adult with ideas and visions and dreams and goals and desires and all these other things who brings her, hopefully, her full self to a relationship. So why, why is submission the goal? And I, and I, and I, I, I chuckled when I saw it because I sent it to some of my some of my female friends who were just like, this is trash. And one of my one of my close friends, she was like, she said, This is just why, why it's so hard for, for me to date. She said, because I don't want to submit to you. Like, why do I need to submit to you? I want to be in a relationship with a with a man who is a complete adult, and we we are two complete people who complement each other. We don't complete each other. We complement each other because we don't need each other because it's not the sign of a healthy relationship. Different podcast. But I think when we're having... No, no it's the same podcast, though. <laughs> it's the same podcast, though. You feel me? Because toxic masculinity makes you feel like in order for me to be in a, uh, a healthy, happy relationship, I have to be able to consume my partner. And when mm -hmm. it, and a lot of times when that means to consume my partner, that means to control and dominate them. So it's really the same. It's really, it's really, it's like, like when you think about a lot of the standards in a relationship, a lot mm -hmm. of those are dictated by gender roles. And a lot yes. of times when we talk about toxic masculinity, a lot yes. of people get pissed off when they hear that terminology because they recognize the literal definition of what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine is being called into question. Yes. We recognize too when we use the idea of toxic masculinity, we're also crit criticizing some of those more normalized default type shit for what it means to yeah. be a man. You feel me? Yeah. And I think that that's a part of it, bro. It's the, a, a part of it is being like, yeah, I want to be a woman's knight in shining armor. And if mm -hmm. a woman feel like I don't complete her, mm -hmm. then she can't be submissive to me. She can't be yeah. standing together, this, this, that, and the other, yeah. this, that, the other. And I think that's, that's really a part of it, though. And I think that this conversation is one that's <laughs> complex. And we got to go into it really recognizing it's very complex and recognizing, too, that being real with you, fam, I, I've learned where I'm at now in life is that when mm -hmm. it comes to talking about gender, is it certain people I don't have the same values of you? Sure. And I think that as a result of me and not having the same values of you, we just gonna have two opposing understandings of what it means to be, like literally sure. what it means to be. 
Because sure. when, when you say patriarchy and I say patriarchy, nigga, mm -hmm. we mean a whole different thing, bro. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. You go to other people and they say patriarchy. Sometimes people think all oh, like patriarchy is always already good. Patriarchy is bad. What? I'm a no, Christian. No, I, no, I, had a, I had a woman argue with me on. I had a woman argue with me on Instagram about the goodness of patriarchy. Swear like she was defending it, and I was like, "We live in a patriarchal society where people are indoctrinated to always already reify patriarchy. So you're looking to rebuild a patriarch a patriarchal structure. I need yeah. me a man that I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. He gonna be able to do X, Y, and Z. And we gonna just keep on recreating the white picket fence, the nuclear family that's built on my yeah. patriarchy. So yeah. it's like really thinking like I know as a content creator, I talk mm -hmm. a lot about race and racism. You mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. White supremacy, anti-blackness. I mm -hmm. get a lot of people that come to me and they fuck with me because of that. Excuse my language, yeah. but I'm just being real, right? Yeah, sure, sure. When I start talking about patriarchy and I start giving patriarchal critiques, it's a lot of those people that's dipping out on my ass yeah, and or, go. you feel yeah. me, now they're questioning how smart they thought I was. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And I've learned I, like shit, it is what it is. Well, I, said I, what I, I, know, said. I know I'm uber left, right? It, it, even, you know, I have progressive friends and even my progressive friends sometimes are like, okay, wait a minute. Like I, I like even this is, and this is definitely going to get some responses, but like every time I see, and, and let me, I'll give context to it. But every time I see an online proposal, it always just makes me go like, Hmm. <laughs> right. Because in those instances, traditionally, the man is empowered to move the relationship to the quote unquote next level, i.e. marriage, not the woman. She's excited when he proposes. We, we, we celebrate these clever ways of proposing and all of that. And I'm always asking, and I've asked this through my social media, would you be okay if you're in a heterosexual relationship with a woman proposing to you? Almost every man says no. And almost every woman says, hell no. I'm not proposing to no man. Now there are some people who say, "Yeah, I would," but I, I but I, I had this conversation <clears throat> with a, a young lady some years back. We were at dinner, and I, and we were having a conversation about you know who pays, and she said, "Well, if I go on a date with a guy, he got to pay first date." What if you ask him? He got to pay. What if you make thirty? What if he makes thirty-five thousand? You make three hundred thousand. He got to pay. I said, "Why does he have to pay?" Because he's because he has a penis, gender roles. Like, like think literally. about how, but think about how remedial that is. Like because yeah. he has a penis, he has to pay. So fortunately, fast forward a few years, I saw her recently, and she was like, "Yo, Ted, I need to talk to you. What's up? Oh, you an apology? Why? Remember that conversation we had? Blah blah blah." She's like, "I get it now, and I don't think like we that love anymore. it." I was love like, "You don't owe me an apology, but I, I I appreciate you sharing with me where you are." Yes, I said, because here's agreed. the thing that happens when you do that. The moment you do that, you set up a power construct, period. Period. Oh, I said, so there are expectations that now come with that. You're expecting him to do certain things, and he's expecting you to do certain things. Yeah. Y'all get that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm in church right now. <laughs> hey, that, hey, 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 that reciprocation, man. Yes. The reciprocation of domination is one that is supposed Woo! to go back and forth in a, in a, Say it in a, in a, in again. Say it again. Say the reciprocation of domination, you hey. know what I'm saying? But definitely, it's what it is, though. You feel me? It's like, hey, yeah, that's what it is. I put so some again, down. I expect you to pick it up. I'm not exactly. So I'm not. I'm not saying that. You know, nobody saying he said man shouldn't propose. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, I think that's fine. But I think that we should have, ideally, live in a in a society where 
whoever feels like they want to move the relationship can. Not that women feel disempowered to move the relationship, remove the relationship to the next level. I want to I want to talk about um, this in, in a little bit of a different way. I did a podcast episode uh, last season uh, with a young lady named Shonda Brown, and we were talking about. Um, violence against women. She works for an, an institute called the Vera Institute in New York that helps women who have uh, been victimized by domestic violence. <clears throat> she said something to me, man, that was so fascinating. She was, she lives in New York and she talked to me about going to work every day. She, she walks to work, works to the subway or whatever. And she said, you know, every day when I leave, I, I, I stand in the closet to think about what I'm put on. Like making, like for the weather style. She was like, nah, because depending on what I wear determines like if I might get catcalled and the levels of perceived violence I might have to deal with. And I was like, say what? <laughs> so she was like, yeah. She said, so, you know, you're walking down the street and you get catcalled and you don't respond a certain way, then that could turn violent immediately, which, which means you feel uncomfortable. So I literally think about what I'm going to wear every day. We have another, uh, I had a conversation with uh, Kirsten Powers, people, who, who listen to the podcast and know Kirsten, Kirsten Powers, who's in this season, uh, should be later in this season. Uh, we talked to her about, uh, she's a CNN analyst, author, et cetera. She's a very um, anti-racist white woman who I love talking to. And she said, for many women, they have two goals in life. That is to not be killed or raped by a man. Things that I never have had to think about or don't think about regularly as a cisgender guy like i just don't I'm think real. about these that privilege is <clears throat> that privilege and so that this these conversations that we are having around toxic masculinity and what it means and how it harms women i think that's the thing i really want to kind of speak to it next and really drill down on it it's not just words it's not just dudes sitting up on a podcast having a conversation right these things actualize actually harm people and put women, irrespective of how they show up, whether it's trans women, non-binary, cis women, doesn't matter. It puts them in danger. What do you think, um, or, or, or do you have some, what are your thoughts about the ways that these kinds of ideas and conversations impact the lives of women? Um, I think that it has a direct impact on the lives of women and how we are able to be deep, become desensitized to a lot of objectification or a lot of violence. Um, to me, rape culture is how we use words and language and, and rhetoric to kind of uh, uh, shit make it where we become really just desensitized and or lack, lacking care for different situations, whether we are get, making metaphors about rape or giving analogies about, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. to the nomination. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. calling somebody a pussy or something. You feel me? I think that mm -hmm. it has a direct impact on how we value femininity, feminism, woman, what I'm saying, womanism, whatever you want to call it. You feel me? Sure, I think sure, that sure. there's a direct impact. I think there's a direct impact. I think that um, what I know about like psychology is like shit. If I tell you you a piece of shit 10 times in a row, the 11th time, whether you, no matter how confident you was, you're going to start to think about or negotiate if you a piece of shit or not. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of times when we hear over and over and over again, ain't no fun unless we all get some uh, mm. shit, all, all different type of things. When I'm just talk, when we're talking about rock music, pop music, or hip hop music, we know that mm -hmm. there are a lot of lyrics and phenomena, sentiments that's been like, shit, it's not good for women. And we see how that carries out. You know what I'm saying? Whether a woman got on a turtleneck or a bikini, we recognize that there are different ways in which 
their bodies are still objectified in ways that justify violence to them. Yes, I, I want I, I want to move like I want to we kind of move into this this last segment. Um, I want to personalize it a little bit so people know I'm working on this social justice album, and I did a song uh, with PJ Morton um, called "I Pledge," and it's just, it's an anti-misogyny song. Um, we had some some we had some cameos in the video. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I heard about it. You heard about it? <laughs> My boy Conscious Lee is in the video, and Kirk Franklin, and Keith Boykin from some some people. And 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 what's interesting is I was writing the song. I had a whole different song written to the track. Two things happened. I I was watching the verses with uh, DMX and Snoop. And so I'm listening to now I, I I'm you know in full disclosure I didn't grow up listening to a lot of hip hop like I was a church boy I listened to gospel and R and B like you give me ask me gospel R and B I got you hip hop if it ain't like real popular like Biggie pop like commercial radio records I don't really know a lot of it so as I'm listening to the lyrics oh my mom ain't listening to this part like <laughs> bitches ain't nothing but hoes and tricks. I was just like, this ain't shit, but I was intrigued. Yeah, that's literally, yeah. That's the hook. And it's like, and it was popular. Damn, the like, next hey. bar is lick on my nuts and suck my. That's the next bar. But this ain't shit, but I was intrigued. And so I think about the, the bar next bar is like, ugh. But it's the, normal, it's the normalization of it, right? There's the music that we dance to, that we, you know, everybody, everybody having a good time. So I, I heard that. And then the, I'm not sure if it was the next day, but the same week, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, had an incident with a, with a Republican uh, House member, and she had a he confronted her on the steps of the House. She's walking away, and he calls her a bitch. And she turns around, and there are reporters around who hear this, right? And I'm just thinking about on the steps of the Capitol, a sitting House Republican disparages another one openly and publicly without any reservation, right? And it made me rethink the song. So then I rewrote the song to kind of really speak more directly to the misogyny that is on full display. So as a parent, specifically as a father, more specifically as a black father raising a daughter, um how how do you will you educate your daughter around how am I trying to ask this question? Like 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 misogyny is a thing. And, and I don't want to use the word protect, but maybe I should. Like how will you how will you prepare your daughter to deal with the thing that she might have to contend with as she grows up? Man, just right right now, I just my daughter's five. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like right now it's just really being able to instill her, her her having body autonomy. You feel me? Mm. You know, you know, you know, you know. Growing up down south, when you were a little kid, older people come through and they want hugs and kisses. You can't say mm-hmm. no. You see what I'm saying? My daughter can say no. You feel me? I love and that. shit. Like if, if you got a problem with that, you can debate me. You can fight me. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, shit. That's that's something that's that's really how I think about it. I just think about being able to for my daughter to understand body autonomy and consent. I think mm-hmm. that if at the like before we start getting into theory or history or this, mm-hmm. that, and the other, mm-hmm. just thinking about consent and, and, and then teaching the consent with this smile shit. You feel me? 
Mm-hmm. Like, can I have this? I can't have it. Okay. Nigga, I'm her daddy. You feel me? So yeah. she, she can tell me no. She'll be able to tell anybody no. You see what I'm saying? 100%. So it's like, shit, that's really how I see it. Just my daughter understanding that she has control over her body and how her body is. You feel me? Moving through the world and mm-hmm. being conscious about almost like a triple consciousness. You feel me? Or quadruple mm-hmm. consciousness. You feel me? My my wife is, 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 a, is a biracial black woman. So my, mm-hmm. my, my daughter light skin. So mm-hmm. me, my, it's me thinking about teaching my daughter about colorism about mm-hmm. sexism, about racism, and how those three things culminate to how she, you know what I'm saying, gonna move, move, move through this world, you feel me? Sure, I know sure. that white men, black men, native men love light-skinned girls, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I yeah. know that, you feel me, black women, regardless of your skin complexion, is not, is, you know what I'm saying, disrespected. Now, so maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a hierarchy of respect, oh, yeah, yeah. Dis- oh, yeah, hierarchy yeah. of disrespect, but still, you know, in a hierarchy yeah. of disrespect, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And then it's just like, shit, you a woman too, you feel me? So I just think about those things and then, just being able to drop little pieces on my daughter throughout her life right now to make it where she five. But I feel like shit, by the time she turned 19, we should be able to have a conversation about like a real conversation about like, you feel me? Sure. Consent. You know, it's funny. Like I, 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 I've been hearing that probably over the last two or three years. <clears throat> Cause I grew up like that too. I grew up like, you know, you go over your great auntie house and everybody want to hug. Give me a hug. And you like, I don't want to, and then they want to kiss all on you. Like, I don't want to kiss on me. But then you will get in trouble if you didn't. Your mom be like, go over there and get him a, a kiss, right? Because they felt like it was a way of showing respect, not understanding that 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 children have feelings and emotions yeah. and sensibilities, and they're also perceptive to energy as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they might be grooming like, behavior too, though. It's grooming behavior. So it's just mm-hmm. like, nah, we ain't got time for it. Yeah, it could be like you know, because you know, what you're unaware of, especially with with. Well, don't matter, little girls or little boys, but you know, this person also might be a pedophile. And I'm not saying that we should be like alarmist in that way, but it's it's real and that's how it happens yeah, yeah, at really. times, you know. And so yeah, I do yeah. think it's so important that we give kids that we in in reinforce to children that they have that agency, right? That you have control over who can touch you or kiss you or what have you, and you have the right to say no. I think that's really powerful. Um yeah. man. I I um I know I got a rap, but I could talk to you for a whole other hour. I just I, I really want to just thank you so much for for this this conversation. Um, we touched on a lot of points, and I think it's so important um, to, to have these exchanges. I am I am I am encouraged. Um, I, I'm I'm emotional uh, when I see black men like you. Um, mm-hmm. Who are they still good, man? Black man, the black man. I, you know, what I'm saying, yeah. like, I've been, I've been, sure. I've been doing a lot of videos now about black masculinity for the past few days. Yeah, and um, one of like you saying that is, is like, you know, what I'm saying, I think I, I don't know if I want to do it today. I'm gonna do it, but it's about the idea of excuse my vernacular, dick riding, mm-hmm. and how when black men want to give other black men love or commemoration, it's it's, it's reduced to dick riding. Mm-hmm. So thinking about what does that mean for black men showing black men love or how mm-hmm. we're always put in adversarial type positions. It's like, sure. damn. so if I want to give you props or give you credit, you know, it cannot be seen as a way for you to insult or a way for it to become a questioning of somebody. You know what I'm saying? We know. We, mm-hmm. Come on, man. I know in Memphis, I know in Bryan, Texas, period. That's fighting, bro. We're going to fight. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. I don't give a damn if I was trying to say you was cool this, that, and the other. Oh, nigga, you dick right. Now we got to fight. 
damn, yeah. man, I was trying to congratulate yeah. you. Now we gotta fight, man. Come on, yeah. you know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and, and not to disparage just... the not to disparage the brand, but like you're gonna get a lot of people looking if you got a versus, right? But if you had a situation where you what we call it like. I don't know, affirmation or something. Where we had like black folks getting on, just like, yo, I'm gonna let's say you got you know, you got six albums, I got six. I ain't even gonna play my music, I'm gonna play okay. my favorite conscious lead records. Hey, I don't know be revolutionary. <laughs> no, it would be revolutionary. Be revolutionary. I don't know what the viewership would be like, but no, it'd be dumb, bro. It'll be dumb. Like, imagine everybody being got has got done arguing about Jay-Z or so I'm saying T.I. type of shit saying he can do this, that, and the other. Yeah, yeah. Imagine T.I. and Wayne doing the verses, and T.I. can only play Wayne songs, and Wayne can only play T.I. songs. And the only way you can win is unless you, like, you only win unless you know the other person, like, shit. Like, it's like, you got to show me how you're a DJ. Show me how you know how to catch the vibe. Show you know yeah. how to move the room and move the stream. You're yeah, like, yeah. what? But I think that a lot of times the Mandingo fighting, and to me, like, yeah. Bell Hooks wrote that book that we so cool. First chapter mm -hmm. about plantation patriarchy. You feel mm -hmm. me? About black mm -hmm. masculinity and shit. In my mm -hmm. mind, it's like as black men, we are usually pitted against each other. Yep. Yep. We are. And I think that that's a part of toxic masculinity that I feel like yes. ain't talked about at all, really. It is yeah. how that toxic masculinity, that macho masculinity, that quote unquote being a real nigga, not being fucked with, letting everybody yeah. know you're not to be dealt with, how that literally rationalizes with violence against other people. I'm yes. 31. When yeah. I was 21, I didn't, I couldn't imagine hearing people normalizing smoking of people they've killed. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. You see what I'm saying? I can't imagine in 1996 or 97, you feel <laughs> me, people in the East Coast saying, I'm smoking a Tupac pack. I can't imagine in 97 or 98, you feel me, people yeah. on the West Coast being like smoking that biggie pack. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. There has been such a day, like I feel like a disrespect for or literally. Go back to philosophy. Social death has been so internalized by our community that we celebrate death in a way that yes. makes it as if we are always already, like damn near Biggie said, we dying to live. Yes. You know I mean? And it's just like, I think that that's a part of toxic masculinity. You know Man, I, I just had this conversation. Like we 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 are, we are not only, <clears throat> we're celebrating it and we are normalizing it. Like again, you know, I'm from well, Memphis. So from Memphis, when you say from Memphis, when you said that, I said, I thought the first time I thought of it was Dolph. Nigga, I'm yeah. a young Dolph fan, so I automatically thought, like, man, yeah, I'm fucked up about what happened to bro, his kids, his wife, yeah. you feel me? Yeah. But then when I'm listening to the song, it's like shit, he was talking about popping niggas. You know, just mm. about him being pop, but I recognize how it's like shit. Tupac, I'm a, I'm a student of Tupac. Tupac said, You live by the gun, you die by the gun. Yeah, sure. Tupac said, You know what I'm saying? A lot of shit, you feel me? Just like, yeah. man, it, it blew my mind. FBG yep. Duck, King Von, Mo3, yep. yeah. shit. Like, it's a lot of people you can just name. You feel me? It's just like, damn. And it's thinking about, like, damn, what would it mean for me to get it out the mud, eat, sleep for dinner? I'm finally able to eat anything I want and go where I want and do what I want. And I'm murdered as a result of my freedom. Yes. And I think that's that that is a part of the toxic masculinity right there. It's like the damn, toxic masculinity. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna take your shit married to, to to american capitalism right and when we think about these <laughs> these things and how they impact uh impact us especially black people in in this in 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 my industry i i'm i'm i don't know it makes me like it makes me angry many times especially when i think about the fact that in this way right whether it's you know R and B or country or pop or gospel or blues or jazz, like you don't hear about the artists murdering each other. 
it's just not a thing, right? They might OD. Right. Social death, man. Social yeah, death. Social death. Social death. Social death, bro. Is like but I real, think that man. we. I, I, my hope is that we can we can coalesce because you know this thing will happen, and there was a big memorial service for Dolphin Memphis, and I watched some of it on, and I was um I got eight nephews, so I'm watching all with them, and they all like hip hop heads, so I'm watching with them, and we on you know group text, and and I'm just like man, the the kind of applause that happens, like I felt so. For his children, you know, most especially having to grow up again without without their dad, and the way people kind of move past it, like the kid's gonna be cool, or you're gonna be like your dad, and they're kind of laughing and joking about it. Not anybody specifically, but this is kind yeah. of what happens, and it's like normalized, like oh, it happened, and we just kind of keep on going, as opposed to really letting the weight and the gravity of the fact that this is another Dang. person in our community who was senselessly yeah. killed really sit on us yeah. and, and and hopefully affect some change in us. But it seems like it just doesn't. It's like we kind of gloss over it and move on to the next. And to your point, when this yeah. when this stuff is incorporated in the, the lyrics and it's, it's, it's glorified and it's romanticized and it's celebrated, um, it's something we really have to talk about and talk about the things that inform form these ideas around it and how people get there in the first like what is the psychology the catalyst that produces this type of mindset i mean i'm 16 17 i'm in choir rehearsal <laughs> like i'm trying to learn oh, yeah. parts you know i'm writing songs i'm taking I'm piano 16, lessons 17, right? i'm not in the choir rehearsal well i'm in the streets 16 17 i'm running but see, around like, is, not, like, not like I, that not like not like not like this you know what i'm saying just in it like that but i'm definitely right. roaming like i'm, I'm Got gotcha. you moving around, moving around. But hey, but I gotta get ready to take my wife. You know what I'm saying to to this appointment. This I think what you just said that would be a cool way for me to to, to drop this down before I leave. Yes. Yesterday I was watching an interview between Gilly the Kid and Wallow and Bobby Smurda. You feel me? Me and I worked the game. They 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 they, they uh, podcast. Yeah. And they was asking Bobby Smurda about how he grew up. And what something he said. You asked me a question like, how do kids, how do young boys start to glorify X, Y, and Z? Bobby Schmurder's dad got locked up when he was young. And he, you know what I'm saying, you're up in the hood, you want to be like your daddy. So he, he said that people used to say, hey, Chewy, you remind me of your daddy, talking to Bobby Schmurder and saying, nobody used yeah. to fuck with your daddy. Bobby Schmurder saying, about, well, they ain't gonna fuck with his son either. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's literally mm -hmm. thinking about how a lot of times cycles get, you know what I'm saying, become picked up and become planted because it's like different, it's different little sentiments and monsters to pick up on. You don't recognize yeah. he picked up on it. You know what I'm saying? He literally said his daddy was locked up. His daddy was doing like a hundred year sentence, a hundred, hundred year sentence since mm -hmm. he'd been a youngster. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He literally is like, though his pops mentality, you feel me, you feel me, wherever land or wherever, literally saying, I'm his son. You don't fuck with me either. I'm just really saying. just you know what I'm saying. I know me. I'm, I'm George Lee Jr. You yeah, feel me. When people just said, "Man, your daddy X Y Z X Y Z," I took that to heart. You feel me? Yeah, my daddy sure. was locked up or out of freedom. It was like, ah, oh, my daddy Pride. was like that. I bet I'm George Lee Jr. So yeah. I just think that you know what I'm saying. In, in, in conclusion, yeah. I think that it's always mindful to think about, especially if you have kids and you got yeah. sons, to think about yeah. what people say about you. And how mm. your child is gonna be reminded about you, and how those yeah. things they're reminded about is what they're gonna emulate. Like I know, I got a son, my son, my son, foe. Mm -hmm. I know whatever perception people have of me, he's gonna hear it one way or another. Sure. Whether they think I'm a bullshit ass person, or they think I'm a cool ass person, whether yeah, they think yeah. I'm a dumbass or intellectual. Man, your yeah. daddy was X, Y, and Z, and it's like yeah. you know what I mean. But it's teaching my son 
as far as as quick as possible. It's like, hey, you're your own man, though. Like, I'm your daddy. I'm always be your daddy. You can always sure, be my sure. son. Sure. You feel me? But you're your own yeah. person. Like, you ain't got to do what I'm doing. You got to do da 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 Yeah. yeah. My wife can Yo, be on my so, ass in a minute. Yeah. Wait. So before you go, up. give people, give people, uh, like how people can follow you on social media. Your social media handles. Uh, the consciously on all social media platforms. Uh, conscious spelled C O N S C I O U S. Theconsciously.com. I do uh, workshops, facilitations, curriculums, curriculums, uh, keynote speaking, all that. I have a master's degree in adult and higher education. I also have a master's degree in human relations. Mm-hmm. And when I'm not on the internet talking shit. I'm in the classroom doing my thing. But I say this, though. I'm an acquired taste. I'm not for everybody. If you don't like your educators being raw and organic, I'm probably not the educator for you. I won't take it personal at all. Education is elevation. God bless you. Appreciate it. I, I didn't even think about the shirt I te- the sweatshirt I wore today. Um, to my producer, this will probably be the name of this uh, podcast. Huh? Thoughts of a color man. You know what I'm saying? Period. <laughs> education of the day hey, you feel me all right thank y'all for rocking with us on 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 perspective today thank you to my guest consciously y'all please like this share this tell somebody about it we'll talk to y'all next time peace